I'm Rob Faye filling in for Shane. Good morning to everybody on the East Coast. West Coasters, you got about an hour to go. It is movie season. And I know you're hustling and bustling, trying to get all those final gifts purchased to make sure that Christmas isn't an absolute schmozzle in the last 48 hours. And good on you, but there's a lot of stuff there, be it on Netflix, at the movie theater, wherever you are, that is definitely worth looking into. So when we have said movies that need review and discussion we go to steve stebbing steve good evening how are you tonight not too bad rob how are you doing ah you know i'm okay i'm not a music aficionado i'm not a movie aficionado i'm a jack of all trades master of none which is why these conversations are so intriguing to me and uh i i guess as a child i remember my pinocchio but in 2022 mm-hmm. there's a new one yeah, there was actually two diff- uh, different p- uh, Pinocchios that came out this year because on Disney Day, uh, they did the Robert Zemeckis Disney Pinocchio, which is like your traditional, the one that pretty much everyone knows, the movie that came from the 1940s. Uh, but Guillermo del Toro is taking his kick at the can in this one. And uh, it is it really is a delight to, to watch because uh, Guillermo's a master. He's just an absolute master, just knows exactly what he's doing cinematically and loves to kind of like infuse his own creepiness and as well as like history that really interests him because this one's against the backdrop of a uh, world war ii italy so under the uh the propaganda thumb of uh, benito mussolini and everything and I, I i think that's really fascinating element to the story it was kind of unexpected when you talk about styles obviously pan's labyrinth and you know there's things that del toro has put forth that you know you either love it or you hate it more love it than obviously hate it but when you look at pinocchio were there some signatures where you're like yep that's a del toro flick well one thing that i thought was really interesting is uh when when uh geppetto was creating pinocchio and just kind of uh putting the 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 uh, marionette together it's almost like the shadowing and the and and the the lightning strikes and everything it's almost like the the mon- uh, frankenstein's monster being put together like it all has that whole element to it which is just pure guillermo to the core to take like kind of like a kid's story i mean pinocchio is very much a kid's story uh sadly with an underlying vein of grief for throughout the whole thing but generally it's a family story but kind of putting his own horror spin on it at the same time Oh, yeah, I never thought of Geppetto as a drunk. So, <laughs> you know, I mean, not to say that he is, you know, throughout the movie, but there's definitely mm-hmm. some accents of some, you know, dark sides of Geppetto that you don't usually hear about during bedtime reading. No, not at all. Yeah, this one definitely is not your uh, your nighttime story. All right, I'm going to play you a clip from the next one as we move on to our next movie, Amsterdam. Harold, I don't know what you think you're doing. Excuse me. Hello. Got a dead white man in a box. Not even a casket. Doesn't even have a top on it. In a pine box of old wood. Who do you think's gonna get in trouble here? Do me a favor. Try to be optimistic. Well, she's as hot as a pistol over the last couple of years. You got Margot Robbie, you got Christian Bale, John David Washington. Pretty good recipe, but how does Amsterdam stack up? Uh, I think for all of the amazing parts you have uh, moving in this one the sum of his actions are just not there and i blame david o russell who is a filmmaker that i have like just more and more and fallen out of love with i think the last good movies he did uh was the fighter or maybe silver linings playbook and 
uh, he has been just kind of like falling into this poor man Scorsese um, rut for the last while. Um, there's so many good actors in this. Why is this such a mediocre film that is almost borderline ugly in some shots? And yeah, I just have massive issues with this movie. And it even has Taylor Swift in it in like a small but very memorable role. And yeah, they just they just could not make it work. Do you find that when you get these ensembles, like certain casts that you can just tell within the first five, ten minutes, like, yeah, they probably paid a lot for this, but this is just not that movie? Yeah, I think that uh, certain filmmakers get uh, an amount of clout and and a certain fan base that gets them going. And when you put them on a high pedestal, like everybody wants to play in the sandbox with them. And sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. And I'm just I'm definitely coming off as a David O. Russell hater. um, (laughs) And I don't think I'll correct anybody on that. That's okay. That's okay. All right. Let's. uh... Let's go back in time. Gun, I need your help. Catherine, it's the last chance to help this kingdom. Her uncle is the king of France. You must unite Europe. Kidnapping her is the only way. We don't kidnap women. The king's rules are God's rules. I mean, you can tell one voice from a mile away. Michael Caine is Michael Caine. Mm-hmm. But talk to me about Medieval. Yeah, this is basically a uh, just a, a blood and sword um, action film with uh, lots of violent kills and everything. And Ben Foster, who is usually relegated to like supporting roles, gets a lead role in this one and actually makes it a pretty entertaining film. Uh, basically, it takes place during the Holy War uh, Roman Empire era. And uh, while the kingdoms have just kind of fallen into chaos because of the warring of two brothers, uh, two, two brothers battling over the throne. Uh, and I mean, the story is a little convoluted and allegiances kind of fall all over the place. But it's still like the action scenes really keep it together. There's limited drag points in it. Uh, and it's it doesn't crest that two hours so that's sometimes that really works in a movie's favor sometimes sometimes you just you, you got to dial it back a little bit so it's it's a crisp watch and yeah more action movies with ben foster as a lead please because uh, this one may not be amazing but the potential is there are you a proponent like are you a big fan of rotten tomatoes or is that not your jam uh, I definitely check it. I, I use I use that and Metascore as if I haven't seen the movie as kind of like a good um, kind of predecessor to what I'm going to see. I try not to lean on it too much, sometimes because the audience score and the Rotten Tomato score are so widely out to lunch sometimes that it's, uh, it's really hard to get a good feel. Yeah, this one... On the tomato meter, I get tomometer, <laughs> tomato <laughs> meter, just a, a casual 41%, but a, an audience score of 72. So uh, I, I guess that passes the sniff test, no? Yeah, I think a little bit. Yeah, you, I, some, of, some of the works critics are a little hard on. All right, this next one, um, I could totally picture Ryan seeing the early show and the late show for this one. Uh, let's, let's hear some very familiar voices post-COVID. Alexa, start the car. Start the car? Where are you going? I need to stop at a store and then we're going home. 
What about the connection you just found between Kenny and your father? Alexa, find the nearest liquor store. Oh, you want to get drunk? Let me guess, someone said something you didn't like and it made you want to pound beer and wine. It's not pounding beer and wine. I drop wine shots into the beer. It's called a smorgasbord and it's very cultural. Stop acting like a child and support your dead friend, Stan. You don't even have any- Alexa, stop! The crew from South Park post-COVID. Correct me if I'm wrong. Is this not 40 years in the future? Yeah, this is this is following the uh, the vaccination specials and the the uh, quarantine specials and the events of of the the previous season, which I think was only five episodes. Um, but yeah, this is the first time that we see the boys as not only adults but like middle aged adults. And uh, kind of living in a world that was kind of just thrown off track by COVID and everything. And the only the way that Trey and Matt can portray in South Park, uh, a show that's been going for a quarter of a century and is still cutting edge, hilarious and unpredictable. And uh, the post COVID special is amazing. I don't really want to spoil a lot of it, but I mean, Cartman's a rabbi. Mm-hmm. <laughs> which is just if you know the history of the character you're just like how is that even a thing but it's just so well done um and i don't know every time these guys go up to the plate they knock it out of the park i, I always love watching south park kenny's flash drive in the old rectum is always <laughs> a, a fan favorite as well it, you know I, I it's funny because my kids i try to tell them you know things that i watch even the simpsons kind of just goes over their head as well but you talk about a generation of animation and you know just all the the cartoons that we grew up watching that started to push the boundaries family guy and what have you does this move or does even 60 minutes of south park does it stand the test of time with the next generation i still think south park might be the top of the pile when it comes to really um, those long gestated um, uh, animated shows, like even if you're throwing Family Guy or as recent as Bob's Burgers or anything like that, I think that South Park is just consistent. And I think maybe it's due to the fact that they can animate and get the episode in within two weeks, a week, two weeks or something. They have such a quick turnaround of making shows that they can be so absolutely current. It's crazy. Love it. All right, let's finish this segment really quickly. We've got about two minutes here. Let's talk uh, a popular miniseries. Stand by your man. Here's something about having a number one hit. And show the world you love him. It does something to a person. Keep giving all the love you can. After your first number one, can't wait for the next one. Now the race is on and here comes pride up the backstroke. Put your hands together for Joe. Joe. You live in a fast world. Fast is the only speed I know. Understand me, Winnet? Mm-hmm. Will you make me an honest man? You make me an honest woman. Ah, uh, yes, George Jones and the woman who made KLF's gonna rock you famous, Tammy Wynette. Um, yes. What do you think of this miniseries? I, I think it's funny that Jessica Chastain is collecting Tammy's. She was Tammy Faye Baker last year, won an ah, Academy Award yes, for it. Yes, and now yes. she's Tammy Wynette. So she's just she's knocking off Tammy's left and right. Um, yeah, I, a good casting. Uh, not just her, but uh, Michael Shannon doing the George Jones role. And what a what a train wreck of a human being uh, George Jones was, as well as being a legend in country music. But, I mean, the beginning of the whole series is them taping up his knees because he's so drunk he can't stand. 
So they basically have to prop him up on stage to, to sing and perform to a performance that he's 45 minutes late for at the start. So, I, I yeah, actually think interesting stuff. I actually think Michael Shannon is one of the most underrated actors around. Absolutely. I, I totally forgot he was in Eight Mile. Hold on, what? Someone pointed out on Twitter. Yeah, he was in Eight Mile. What was he doing in Eight Mile? I think he's what I think he's the the abusive uh, Greg. I think he's the abusive the no boyfriend. No way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No way. Katie Mixon's in this miniseries as well. Yes. She oh. of uh <laughs> Kenny Powers fame. Hell yes. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> good, good for you for knowing that. 